one. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Turn on the Jets Digital Presents Draft Season. This is season six, episode 11, I believe. Uh, and if it's not episode 11, then I don't take back that mistake because we'll get to episode 11 eventually. Uh, I am your moderator, D.A. Osorio, joined as always by the rest of the four horsemen of draft season, Michael Meegan, Joseph Bellick, and James Coons. Joe, I will start with you. How are you feeling, brother? I feel like I always start with James because, you know, James is my favorite 19-year-old on this planet. Uh, but I'm going to go to you now. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great, Dalby. You know, I'm pumped for having Ben coming on a little later and uh, get into a little uh, Ojolari talk in a little bit. So yeah, I think we're going to yeah. have a fun time today. Yeah, it's going to be a good edge. It's going to be a good edge day for us, you know, and, and I think I think it's good. It's going to be fun. Meeks, how are you feeling, man? Feeling great. Talking about edge rushers, talking about the Jets, two things that don't really go together. So I'm excited. <laughs> we have ignored the edge, the edge position now going on almost 12 years, it feels like, because it's been 11. It's been actually 12, 12 years, but 11 off seasons since we signed Calvin Pace to that contract from the Cardinals. Uh, James, how about you, man? How are you feeling? Doing well. Just got some Fuego Jets takes prepared for this episode. So nice. Give the people what they want. I will also point out, James was six when we signed Calvin Pace. He was six. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to feel old, if you want to feel old, James was six years old when the Jets signed, signed Calvin Pace. And honestly, it feels like they haven't had an edge rusher since I was six. Um, but let's dive right in, right? You guys know the format, seven rounds, uh, seven rounds of draft talk. However, uh, you know, we switch it up when we usually have an, uh, when we usually have an interview on deck and we have a really good one uh, today. But before we do that, we are going to start with our grade the mock feature. And this mock came in this week. Um, and honestly, I was one floored at the fact that they didn't give us a running back at 23 again, which has been the thing for like 15 mock drafts now. Um, so that was exciting. But uh, we've all talked about this, you know, amongst ourselves in the draft season chat. We all believe that that second first round pick is more likely than not to come on the defensive side of the ball. And it will more likely than not be an edge rusher. Um, and this is a class that does not have a clear cut number one edge. I think, I think that it's safe to say that. I think that there are guys that you like. I think that there's guys that do things that you don't like. And Meigs and I were talking about this yesterday. I very much hate raw pass rushers. Like I have a problem with raw pass rushers, but because I dislike raw pass rushers, I overreach on raw pass rushers. So like I loved Arden key, even though he was an incredibly raw pass rusher. Um, so in this mock draft, they gave the Jets an edge rusher. They gave them King Aziz from Daniel Essen's home country of Nigeria. Joe, I will start with you. Tell me, what did you think of this pick? And what do you think of Aziz as a prospect overall? Yeah, I like Aziz. He's uh, explosive off the snap, decent bend around the corner, nice use of his long arm and ability to attack the outside hand of an offensive tackle to clear his way to the quarterback. Just full energy, high motor just a natural pure pass rusher that could end up wreaking havoc on the next level. Now he needs to work on his run defense and add some combos and pass rush moves to his toolbox. But this is a, a solid high upside type of selection. I gave this pick a B plus the jets are like we talked about in desperate need of a pass rush and he feels a major need. Now I think it would be wise to talk a little bit about where I personally think he'd play in this defense, which looks to be more of a four, three over wide nine scheme. So, right, um, he's not this traditional 4-3 defensive end in the mold of, say, a Nick Bosa. He doesn't have the bulk or size to play that role in this defense. 
At 240 pounds, Ajilari is pretty much in the zero percentile for 4-3 defensive ends. And from what I can tell, that's not the body type Sal is looking for from his kind of every down edge guys. Arik Armstead is in that 280-pound range. Bosa plays close to 270. And when Bosa got injured, Sal replaced him mostly with Kerry Hyder, another 270-plus pound edge defender, not a 240-pound speed rusher like Ajilari. This defense relies heavily on the guys up front to keep the guys behind them protected. Now, he could develop into that kind of player. He has the frame for it, and he probably needs to add at least another 10 pounds regardless. But he doesn't need to be that guy to be successful in this defense. And if I were to compare Ajilari to anybody on the 49ers, it would be in that D4 type of role as the situational pass rusher or pass rushing specialist, if you will, someone who comes in mostly on clear passing downs. And I think he could be a bona fide double digit sack guy if deployed in that fashion. And I believe he would absolutely be nasty in this defense, even in a limited capacity, not to mention he could play some off ball linebacker too in this four, three scheme. So I think Salah would love his versatility, versatility. Now, I'd like this pick even more if they add a Trey Hendrickson or a Carl Lawson in free agency to fill that sort of prototypical 4-3 defensive end role, more of a Nick Bosa type, because they already have that kind of Arik Armstead guy. Uh, well, I hope anyway, with Jonathan Franklin Myers and with the addition of Ajulari as a pass rushing specialist, you are starting to have the complete package when it comes to rushing the quarterback. Imagine having situationally you know, Ajilari at, at one edge and you move Jonathan Franklin Myers inside next to Q. And then you have like Trey Hendrickson or Carl Lawson at the other edge. Now you're looking at a pretty formidable pass rush and, and I could get behind that front four. So yeah, I'm, I'm loving the pick here. Now, you know, D, I think it's noteworthy maybe to mention that we don't really know what this defense will ultimately look like. It's, it's safe to assume it'll be this 4-3 over Y9 look because that's what we've seen lately from Salah. But we've also seen a 4-3 over, a 4-3 under, and that's when you have five guys at the line of scrimmage, the fifth guy being the strong side linebacker. And I could see Ajilari playing that Yannick Nagakwe role in that defense, and, and that might be the best overall fit for him, you know, playing that Leo slash wide nine role on the weak side of formation. So I think, you know, ultimately I'm, what I'm trying to say, um, maybe uh, keep a long story short or a little longer, sorry for that, guys, uh, is that regardless of what defense Salah deploys, you know, there will be a place for Ajilari in it. And I think Salah is the perfect coach to unleash his talents. So I'm pretty pumped for this bet. Yeah. And I think, I think two things you mentioned, one, you mentioned D Ford who was better in Kansas city than he was in San Francisco without a doubt. And I think injuries played a role in that. Right. I think that was a, that was a big, that was a big reason why um, I, I think it's going to be interesting because I wonder how much do you see, Obrick, who's going to be the defensive coordinator, and Salah kind of made that clear, even though we're probably going to get a lot of Salah's defense, you know, his schemes. Um, just how much of how much do you bring from also what Atlanta did really well, right? Because Atlanta's defense was very, very good after they fired Dan Quinn and Obrick took over. They were much better after he took over. Meigs, what did you think of the pick? I know for you, uh, you 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 said jokingly this week you have a type at edge. Uh, does Aziz fit your type? And if so, what did you think of the pick? And if not, what did you think of the pick? Um, Aziz is my type. I really do like Ojolari. Um, I think he does need to add the 15 pounds that Joe talked about, but I really like how he bends. Um, I really like it. Like he has one pass rush move. It's that chop. I think Austin Gale of PFF put out like a nice compilation of how he really affects offensive tackles with that move. And you want to see him add more tools to the toolbox, but you really like that he has one that really works right now. And for me, I'm going to give any edge that's got the jets get mocked in the first round. I'm just going to give an A minus to. Edge is the hardest position to get outside of the first round. I'd say outside of quarterback. And I just really love that 
in this mock that they're using like they're going in that direction because I really think it's needed. And as Joe pointed out, I think they need to go in all in on either corner or edge this offseason because you can have an okay pass rush with lockdown corners. You can have a good pass rush with bad corners, but you can't have both, which is the Jets have been having, is just having both of them be bad. So I really want them to go all in on one of those. And I think that's easier giving the draft class and giving the free agent market to be pass rush. Yeah, and I think, Meeks, you've mentioned this before, and you've said this a few times, the the corner market is very barren this year, right? Like, Richard Sherman's the best guy, right? I, I You know, I think I think we all can agree to that. But after that, it's, you know, we don't know if a woozy from the Cowboys is going to hit the market, and he's probably better in the slot anyway than he is outside, right? So you don't know if he's going to hit the market. Uh, you have arguably one of the better corners on your team in Brian Poole, and so if he hits the market, like, you want you want to try and keep him because I think he's a, he's a good slot receiver. A slot corner, sorry, he's a good slot corner. I I think I think you make a really good point in terms of just how are the Jets going to fill out both this cornerback room and this edge room. There are some difference makers at edge and free agency. So you wonder if Douglas decides, you know what, I'm going to put a lot of resources into edge and try to get a Bud Dupree or Carl Lawson or, you know, Matt Judon, who only gets sacks against tight ends, it seems. <laughs> um, is that where Douglas goes and then focuses the draft on corner? Because I think the corner class in, in this in this draft is really, really well. It's really, really good. James. I'm going to go to you right now. Aziz, do you like the pick? And where do you look at him in terms of, in comparison to the other edges, right? Like we've looked at Big Greg, looked at Jalen Phillips, who I, I I have him, I think, as edge number two for me, Jalen Phillips is behind Big Greg. Uh, but where do you think, where do you, comparing Aziz to the other edges, what do you like about him? Do you like this pick? And are there other edges that you like more? So I think I like the pick less than you guys. Um I know that Aziz is a very popular person to mock to the Jets in mock drafts. So I'll just read the description I wrote about him after watching three of his games. Um, Aziz is a young, intriguing pass rusher with good production and athleticism, but few pass rush moves. Provides rush experience from two-point and three-point stances, as well as drop versatility. He wins primarily on the outside with a cross chop or with speed. He possesses good athleticism, length, burst, and occasionally flashes bend. Developing an inside counter would elevate his effectiveness as a rusher. He's a better fit for a 3-4 than a 4-3, but could likely put on the weight to be a 4-3 end. Merits second round consideration. Um, overall, he's intriguing. I don't think he's an ideal fit for this scheme. Um, I also question to what extent we can rely on player development in the NFL in terms of like adding those extra moves. Um, a player that I actually came across who I think is in a similar mold to Aziz, but a better fit for a 4-3 defense is Penn State defensive end Jason Owe. And um, he's widely known as like this athletic project type rusher. Um, he was featured as number four on Bruce Feldman's freaks list over the summer. Um, he reportedly ran a 4-3-3 yard dash, uh, according to Penn State coaches, vertical jump 36 inches, Broad jump 10-7, has an agility time of 4-4-6, and his body fat's 5% at 6-5, 250 pounds. Now, those certainly are not reasons to take somebody on their own. But when we look at Jason, I think one of the reasons he's become lost in this very muddled edge class is because of the lack of true pass rush reps from him. Last year, we talked about how Makai Becton didn't have a lot of true pass pro reps. I think there is an analogous situation here with Oa where they're stunting him, lots of run game, 
very few true pass rush reps in a third and 10 where you see him pin his ears back and rush. But in those instances, he's very intriguing. In Michigan, in the Michigan game in particular against Jalen Mayfield, he had some very nice reps, especially on this third and 10 where he's in the backfield about to sack Shea Patterson in like one and a half seconds. And then Shea Patterson throws like a five yard pass to his running back. So like that kind of ruined the moment, but it's like, you see these things every once in a while and they give you hope. He's definitely unrefined. He doesn't have many moves, if any, to be completely honest. But if we're looking at somebody to draft in the mid-second round, I believe that I prefer Owe as of right now to Ojolari just because of the scheme fit, athleticism, and the pass rush potential and the limited reps that he's had. So a follow-up question for you, James, because I think that raises a really good point, and I think that this ties into the free agency question, right? So if you went – if, say – Always was the edge that you targeted you know round two you said 34 i'm going to take him if he's there right or um does that mean you would then lean towards going corner at 23 uh because you knew go you knew that you could get the edge that you really liked at 34 that's a good question um i think if i were to pick away i'm not sure if i feel comfortable doing it at 34 i i think in an ideal world we would pick him in the middle of the second round to the late second round um, just because of the, like, I don't think he's going to come in year one and produce, but that being said, would it be worth drafting a corner early if we draft a developmental pass rusher at 34? I think the sweet spot for cornerbacks in this draft is the early to mid second round. There are many players in that range who fit this scheme, who have experience in off man coverage and, and off coverage and zone. Um, so I would say that would be the ideal place to target a corner. At 23, I'm more looking at one of the offensive linemen, you know, maybe Christian Darasaw, Elijah Beer Tucker slip to 23, and we can pick them there. If not, perhaps one of the wide receivers falls or an edge rusher might be there, like a Jalen Phillips, who I know we all like a lot. So that's what my strategy would be. And actually, you mentioning the offensive lineman is a perfect segue because I think one of the things that we've talked about a lot, especially this week, right, is we saw the Jets take a home run swing last year with Mekhi Becton, right? Like I, I think we can all agree that Tristan Wirfs was probably the the more techni- technically sound prospect, right? He was he was the better prospect coming in, uh, you know, in terms of just plug and play. But Becton came in, you know, and had the, the raw ability, the athleticism. And Douglas said, you know what? I'm not going to play it safe. I'm going to take this shot. I wonder, and I'm curious to you guys' thoughts, and Meigs, I'll start with you. How does that thinking, I'm going to aim for the home run, impact what they do at two, right? If they keep the pick and do not trade for Deshaun Watson. James shared a really good quote this week from Dane Brugler that talked about not just not, and this is something we haven't talked a lot about, but not just Justin Fields' ability, but his ability to to his to galvanize a team, to lead a team, right? What do you do looking at Douglas last year and him taking the home run swing with Beckton, how do you think that impacts the number two, the number two pick and who he may be leaning towards if if the Jets end up keeping the pick? Well, I think that we saw that offensive tackle is a premium position and he swung for the fences on it. And if you're going to swing for the fences on the guy who's in charge of protecting your quarterback, why wouldn't you do that for the guy who's going to play quarterback for you? So, I mean, I don't know if Jeff fans are ready to hear this, but Trey Lance is that home run swing of these three. It's not even Justin Fields, who I think has a really, really high ceiling. Like that's Trey Lance and the FCS 16 starts is scary. And I don't know if Joe Douglas can do that realistically, but that's, that's when, when I, when I read that quote, he's the first person I think of. Yeah. And I think, and Joe, I'll go to you. 
is because I know we had Mark on the show a couple episodes ago and he mentioned Lance. He said that if you were really going for the highest swing, Lance is the guy you go with. Right. Because because the FCS stuff may be scary, but there's things that he does and there's things that he did in that program that speak to the, these these things that Douglas looks for. Right. He's focused. James, you mentioned this. He focuses on team captains. Right. Which is why Zach Wilson not being a team captain. That might be a ding on him in the eyes of Joe Douglas. Right. Because, again, BYU didn't pick you as one of the eight captains. Joe, what do you think? How much premium do you think Joe Douglas is going to put on that? The ability to be a leader, the the the, the higher ceiling versus a safer prospect. What do you think about that? I think that's what Joe Douglas looks for. He looks for leaders. He looks for good locker room guys, guys who can make the guys around them better. And, you know, Trey Lance has that. A lot of guys in this draft has that. When you look at last year, he, he took a number of captains. So I think, you know, ultimately that's the player Joe Douglas wants. They want to build a culture here. Those are the kind of guys that they need to do it with. And I think that he really, val- he puts those guys, uh, you know, he puts those guys higher on his board. Let's just put it that way. You know, there might be a guy who might be a little slightly talented, or if there's a guy who's like on equal talent level, but this guy has that kind of leadership role. I think that's what drives Joe Douglas in making his decisions. And if you want to talk about leadership, you know, Justin Fields is really the guy who I think stands out more than even any of these quarterbacks, what he did with, for the big 10, you know, during this big pandemic and just the way he conducts himself in general. So yeah, leadership, Number one priority for Joe Douglas, for sure. And Thor mentioned this too during his episode. He said that you can either trade for Deshaun Watson or you can draft the guy that resembles Deshaun Watson the most, and that's Justin Fields. James, you, you, you're the one that shared the Brugler, the Brugler quote. Um, how much stock do you, do you think the Jets, because now this is the thing too, right? You had Jamal Adams, who was the culture changer, right? And I'm using air quotes. You guys can't see me. Jamal Adams was the culture changer. He was built different. The Jets have now turned the page entirely on the Adam Gase era. That's no, you know, no Jamal Adams. Sam Darnold will be gone at some point. I think we, 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 we can all bank on that. Setting the tone for this era of Jets football. How much, how much do you think he puts on that? And do you think that that do you think, because you said this, you said reading this, it makes me more sure that Justin Fields is the pick. Do you want to explain that to the folks that got really upset at you because they thought you were calling, you know, Zach Wilson, Johnny Manziel or whatever they were upset about today? Sure. So to paraphrase the quote, um, Dane Brugler in an article for The Athletic talking about Ohio State prospects said that some scouts um, don't have Justin Fields as a first round player, but other scouts are intrigued by what he brings to the table off the field in terms of intelligence and leadership. Um, and he ended the quote by saying that he thinks that a team that views Justin Fields as a high upside player would basically use those person like personal traits to talk themselves into taking him. Um, for me, it's hard to analyze that because I actually have a very different view than Dane. I don't see Justin as this high upside player. I actually see Justin as this very high floor player. I think it's hard to call Justin Fields, who's the most accurate quarterback in this draft, according to virtually any empirical measurement that you use, some sort of risky swing, Um, especially in an offense whose passing game is predicated on cutting the field in half and like not forcing you to go through full field reads. I don't really understand that. So I think if you look at it from my perspective, you could actually argue that Justin being a safer pick might make him less likely to be the Jets pick. But if we go by the narrative that I think Dane 
um, has been promoting, which is that Justin has some inherent risk. I think you could talk yourself into Justin being a perfect fit for the Jets draft strategy. Let's stick with the quarterbacks real quick before we go back to edge, because one of the conversations that came out this week was who do you compare these guys to pro wise, right? And our, our boss, Joe Caparoso said that he compared Zach Wilson to a better Baker Mayfield coming out. And after, and I've watched all of Zach Wilson's snaps and I can see a better Baker uh, in the sense of that, in, in the sense that in college, I think a lot of folks, because again, we're three years removed from it. I think a lot of folks forget that Baker, like Zach, had a tendency to try throws that realistically you probably really shouldn't try as, as a prospect. The difference, I think, is that Zach Wilson has a much stronger arm than Baker Mayfield. So you saw it in the Georgia game when Baker was in college. You saw it versus Ohio State. All these teams did was they pressed man, right? When they realized that Baker had trouble throwing it uh, throwing it to the outside. Zach Wilson doesn't really have that issue. Um, Meigs, I'll go to you because you had a really good uh a really good kind of comparison you said put kyler's arm in baker and that's zach wilson and i thought that was actually pretty pretty interesting uh do you want to talk about that and just why you landed on that as a cop for zach wilson I mean, I hate doing comps because no comp is ever like a hundred percent. Um Danny Kelly for the ringer does shades of when he picks like two different players and I really think that's the best way to do it because I think you get the most accurate thing. Um for that like I really think that like that live arm that Zach Wilson has that quick twitch throw, it's very baseball like. And that's why I automatically go to Kyler when you think of that, because I can't compare him to Mahomes. I can't compare him to Rogers. Those are the two most talented throwers of the football I've ever seen. And I think that have ever existed. And I think you're putting way too much expectations on that kid's shoulders by comparing those two. So that's why I kind of landed on Kyler. Just like not yeah, Obviously the athleticism Well, Zach Wilson's a good athlete. It's just not even close to that level, but I think, Zach Wilson really does, especially with the deep ball, because that because Kyler always reminded me of Russ, and I really think Zach Wilson's deep ball is very similar to Russell's as well. Yeah, and I think I think one of the underrated parts, and you said this actually last year during the season when folks started to kind of try and compare uh, Kyler and Lamar, right, and you kind of started to see a bit of that. Like Kyler's deep ball is is a beautiful deep ball. It's accurate, has good touch. Russ has the same. Wilson has similar. It's a similar deep ball. Baker didn't have that deep ball in in, in Oklahoma. He did not. Like ba- Baker's deep ball was wobbly and it was not accurate. Um, you know, which is why the offense was kind of tailored to him winning in that 15 and under mark, right? Like 15 yards and under. Joe, I'll go to you because you have you have you you with me, we love Trey Lance, right? Trey Lance has all this talent. However, Bleacher Report during the season compared him to Lamar Jackson, and I don't see Lamar Jackson with him. Uh, you know, maybe it's something, you know, to do with his melanin, like all black quarterbacks are the same. Joe, what did you, Trey Lance, who does he remind you of? I know Jet fans won't like to hear this, but he kind of looks a little to me like Josh Allen, bad, average, good Josh Allen now. Uh, Joe, who do you compare him to? Well, I, I said once if uh, Trey Lance, you know, if Josh Allen and Russell Wilson had a baby, <laughs> It would be Trey Lance. I mean, I think that he's a perfect blend of those two particular players. Um, Yeah, I think that that would be, you know, the best comparison. He throws a really nice deep ball that has this really nice dip there towards the end, just like Russell Wilson. He's got that uh, a pretty strong arm and he's got that nice physicality to him like Josh Allen. He's able to scramble and make plays with his legs like both of those guys. So I think that's a really good comparison. You know, those two guys blended together would make Trey Lance. And for me, that's pretty enticing. You know, that's why I'm really high on Trey Lance. I think that obviously I don't think he will be the pick at two, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibilities. You know, Joe Douglas, you know, came from two organizations that 
selected guys from small schools. You know, Carson Wentz with North Dakota State University. And when he was with the Baltimore Ravens, they took Joe Flacco from Delaware. So I don't think it's, you know, as unlikely as maybe some people think. Um, but yeah, again, yeah, Trey Lance, the perfect blend of those two guys. And when I see him and I, I think about him in this particular offense, you know, with LaFleur, I get excited. You know, I think that if he is the pick, which again, I don't believe he will, um, Jets fans shouldn't be sad on draft night. We should get excited and we should have a little party because Trey Lance has a really nice future in the NFL. Yeah. And Connor mentioned this too. Connor said that, that the, the quarterback that lost the most with no combine and, and no pro days and the normal draft structure was Trey Lance. He's like that. He would have been the guy that really, once folks got to look at him, would have threatened Lawrence for the number one pick, which I thought, and he said, he was like, it would have been a long shot, but he's the guy that probably would have put more fear into, into Trevor Lawrence being the number one pick. And I think that just speaks to just how insane that ceiling is. James, I'll go to, I'll, I'll go to you and Meeks. I'll then come back to you. Actually, I'll go to Meeks first and then I'll go to James Meeks. You mentioned that the re- the perfect fit for Lance is that Arthur Smith offense in Atlanta. You would love to, to see him in that offense uh sitting behind Matt Ryan for a year throwing to Calvin Ridley for the next 10 to 15 years uh to tell the folks why you really like that fit because we saw what it did for Ryan Tannehill and I'll tell you guys this me, I, I was of the belief midway through the season that that offense was all Derrick Henry and Meigs made me take a closer look at the offense and there's a lot that Arthur Smith did uh with Ryan Tannehill that Adam Gase never did right? That Adam Gates just absolutely never did. It was take advantage of his, of his athleticism. It was take advantage of a really nice deep ball that he throws. And it doesn't hurt that you have AJ Brown on the outside as your number one receiver, but Corey Davis was also on his way to bus status until Arthur Smith took over the play calling duties. So Meeks talk a little bit about why you like Trey Lance in Atlanta before I go to James. Uh, that's my favorite fit. I think Arthur Smith's offense looks a lot like McVay's and Kyle Shanahan's offenses do. And I think Lance is perfect for that system. I think like a lot of people think that Lance is the perfect Shanahan quarterback and he gets to sit behind Matt Ryan for a year, really gets to soak up that knowledge because like I said, he, he hasn't played football since 2019 and he was only 19 years old when he was playing. So I really, I don't think that he needs it more just because he can't handle it. Cause that North Dakota state offense has a lot of pro style concepts that aren't, he's not going to have much of a learning core for it's really just he hasn't played football in that long and this is a lot of pressure to put on him but I think that thing's perfect for him he has the offense built in and I think Arthur Smith you're going to find out that he can run that scheme with different running backs not just Derrick Henry yeah and I think one of the and Joe you liked Arthur Smith as a Jets candidate you thought that like he him being here I admit I was not as high on him because I just said I was like he's not bringing Derrick Henry with him and and both you guys were like listen he may not bring Derrick Henry, but he could also draft Najee Harris. Joe believed that. If we draft Najee, there you go. There's your Derrick Henry. James, let's talk a little bit about Lance because I think I think you are a little bit lower than him, a little lower on him than we are. Uh, James had the, the foresight to say, if he goes to the Patriots, I'm not worried. And that really scared me to my core. But you know what? I have to remember, he, has, he, has, he hasn't tempted fate like the rest of us Jet fans have in terms of this. But I like, I, I, I like we, we don't call him Fuego takes for nothing. James. James, talk a little bit about why you're a little bit, le- why you're a little less high on Trey Lance than the rest of us are. I think that Lance is significantly worse of a prospect than Zach Wilson. Um, with Wilson, I understand why people give him the hype that he gets, although I don't think it's completely warranted. With Lance, if we were the draft him at two, I would understand it from the perspective of it's important to go get your guy at the most important position, but I just don't think he's that good. Um, I do want to address this whole narrative that he's coming from a pro style offense. 
Like I watched that offense and I don't think it's pro style. I think there are things that the NFL does that are similar to what North Dakota state does, but that does not mean that it's pro style. Like just because he's under center and he's from the gun doesn't mean that that's some sort of like pro style multiplicity. Like I think people see him do these bootlegs and they're like, okay, Kyle Shanahan offense. When it's like, okay, if 80% of your throws are from bootlegs, that does not match the multiplicity of an NFL offense. Similarly with the run game. I mean, like their run game is literally part handing the ball off to the running back from under center. And then partly this like high school-esque power run game offense with the quarterback and the running back. And it's like, I don't think it's reasonable to say that like these things are pro style. I kind of feel like people are saying that, oh, a Toyota is red, a Ferrari is red, a Toyota is a Ferrari. Like just because there's one similarity um, in terms of like bootlegs and then also I guess like gun under center multiplicity doesn't mean that the full extent of an NFL offense is what we see with Trey Lance. I think I differ in that. I think that Trey definitely plays in some, you know, has some pro style concepts there for sure. Uh, is it completely a pro style offense? No, but are any of these offenses, are any of these quarterbacks playing a completely pro style offense? I'm not sure that they do. So from what I've seen from Lance and what he can do, I think there are a lot of similarities in what he will do, you know, if he comes here to New York to what he did at North Dakota state. So I'm not really totally on the same page with James in that regard. I don't know if the whole analogy between the, the red Toyota and the red Ferrari really, you know, is a good comparison. And, you know, as far as Zach Wilson goes and Trey Lance, when you look at Trey and what he did in one year, one year from his footwork to, to his arm and to his understanding of a defense and reading a defense. And um, I, I, I think that's even more impressive than somebody like Zach Wilson, who clearly, and I said this maybe on episode three or four of draft season and Ben Solak, who was supposed to be here with us today is actually didn't show up. So what's up, Ben? I mentioned, was there a correlation between, you know, this wide zone system and Zach Wilson's rise in performance. And I think that's a legitimate question something that I raised and I didn't really stress because I was still kind of trying to feel Zach Wilson out to see what kind of quarterback he could be. Um, and maybe you could even make the same argument with, with Trey in that regard as well. But again, it took, Zach Wilson, three years to get where he is today. Trey Lance has shown that skill set year one at how old is he? Is he 19 right now? 19 years old. That's that's like, that's pretty impressive. And some people say, oh, you know, I don't want to draft this guy from FCS school. Um, he's got one year of experience. I look at it completely opposite. Look at what he did in one year. Look at who he's become. Look at the skill set he's displaying, like on, on any given Saturday. I mean, it's impressive. And from my standpoint, and I'll stand by this, Trey Lance is my quarterback three. It's Lawrence, it's Field, it's Lance, and then I have Wilson. I do like Wilson. If the Jets draft him, I will get behind it. But when I'm thinking about upside, there's nobody who has more upside in this draft maybe than Trey Lance. And I, I will say I also have Trey Lance at quarterback three um, ahead of Wilson. Uh, and I think for me, I think what it comes down to, I think, I think Joe, you nailed it. I think somebody tweeted this out and, and it kind of reminded me of that. Like we're watching a 19 year old do what Trey Lance did. And that's kind of nuts, right? 19 years old to do that. The worry though, I think, and this is, and this is not to play devil's advocate, but here's the worry. The worry is that Sam Darnold got drafted because of what he did as a 19 year old. Like Sam Darnold was not as good ever again after that freshman year ever again ever again and my worry and 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 it's harder to say with Trey Lance because there's no footage there's no film to compare him to except for that one game in the middle of a pandemic this year right but Sam Darnold was never as good as that freshman year and you worry 
is this the ceiling for Lance? I don't think it is, though. I think that everybody that's raved about him raves about his work ethic, has raved about, you know, his ability to pick up pro concepts in that offense, because I do disagree with James a little bit. I think that there are things in that North Dakota offense that help that that you saw help Carson Wentz that'll help Trey Lance make that transition. I also think that Lance a little bit different than Wentz. Lance is a harder worker than Wentz by all reports, right? By everything that you hear. And I think that's why I like what Joe mentioned about just the progression from when they recruited him and brought him in to where he was at the end of that first year. You're talking about his footwork improved, his ability to drive the ball improved because you have, you have this with a lot of, a lot of young quarterbacks, right? You get by on just talent. You've never had structured coaching like that. It's really just talent. Um, and so I, I think when I, when I look at Lance, I, I, I don't think the one year worries me. I don't think that worries me. I get worried with players when they explode after a year. And that's what Zach Wilson did. I found an art. I found a, a, a scouting report from Charles Robinson, right. Who talked about, like, he was like, you know, he should be, a, this was written in October. This was before he blew up. Right. He should be a second round quarterback. A team that takes him in round one is going to get their general manager fired. He has entitlement issues, all these things, right? All these. And I was like, and then these red flags kind of just went away because he proved that he was a baller, right? But I worry about how much of those red flags, because he already had the shoulder injury, his body, he's leaner, right? And Meeks, you mentioned this too. So I, I think this is a good point. The Zach Wilson that we know now at six feet, three, 200, 200 pounds is not the Zach Wilson that's taking snaps week one in the NFL. He will be at least 220 by then, 215, 218. And he has the body to put on, to put on more weight. Also, and Meeks, you also mentioned this, this is a point, right? McCagnan, Mike McCagnan had a point of drafting older prospects that had capped out who they were. When you aim big, Mackay Becton and now Trey Lance, you're aiming for guys that aren't finished products yet to get them in your system and develop them. James, I'll go to you before we start to wrap up. Go ahead, James. Yeah, I just want to ask like Joe um, a question about like one of the things he said. Um, you mentioned that you think what Trey Lance did um, in 2019 was as impressive as what Zach Wilson did. Um, do you see the, like, do you see what they were asked to do in terms of like how much of the offense was on them as like equivalent as well as like the level of difficulty in the throws that they made? Oh, you know what, when I look at Zach Wilson and again, I'm going to mention something that I brought up early on in one of our early episodes is that I saw this team that went from running outside zone 26% of the time to running 52% of the time this past season and a quarterback who really flourished in that particular system. He was given a lot of time to throw the ball. I mean, you saw Zach Wilson sometimes have enough time to, you know, bust out a lounge chair, drink a lemonade, eat a 10 course meal with dessert and still have time to throw the ball. I mean, kudos to him for making those big time throws because he can do it. But I also questioned, you know, what happens when a defense forces to throw the ball in the middle of the field? How is he going to handle that? Because we both know that he didn't face a lot of uh, diverse coverage rotations with, uh, with BYU either. So, you know, when you're in play action and you turn around, you have your back to the defense and you turn around and what you see in front of you is exactly what you were expecting to see. It's a little easy to easier to kind of function in that kind of uh, formation, that kind of system. You know, when you're in the NFL and all of a sudden you're like having your back to a defense and you turn around and things look completely different. What, what is, what's Zach Wilson going to do in that particular situation? And for me, that's, that's a big concern, a big question mark. And again, I'm going back now year three, more outside zone, 
rise in performance. And then you got somebody like Trey Lance. He hit the ground running. I mean, this kid looks good right from the get. And so for me, those are, those are legitimate things. You know, I don't know if I answered your question, <laughs> but those are, that's kind of the way I see it. Yeah. And I mean, I will say Ian Wharton did a really good job of charting all the throws for Fields, Lawrence, Wilson, and Lance. And it was interesting because, you know, you look and he charted everything literally from pre line of skip line of scrimmage accuracy to uh, accuracy from eight to 15 yards accuracy from sorry, eight, uh, five to 11 yards accuracy from 11 to 19 yards accuracy from uh, 25 plus, right? Like, so again, down the field and, the gap between fields and Wilson and accuracy is pretty big, right? Like it's not, it's not a small number. The, 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 the deeper the throw, the more challenging the throw, the more favored fields. Um, and, but then you look at, and it even favored fields over Lawrence. So I think it's going to be interesting because to James's point at the beginning, how do you call the most accurate quarterback and the almost accurate quarterback in this class a risky prospect because the one thing that you kind of need to be successful to transition to the next level is accuracy. If you have that, you'll be safe. But that also speaks to Trey Lance, Trey Lance pre-line of scrimmage accuracy and, you know, 11 yards or so, one of the most accurate quarterbacks in, in, in the class. Guys, we talked a bunch of quarterbacks. Ben Solak will join us next week for episode 12 of draft season. He was stuck in church. Uh, you know, let the church say amen. Uh, but thank you guys for joining us for this episode of draft season. We gave you edge and a ton of quarterback talk next week. It's quarterback talk. And we'll be joined by Ben Solak, who has been sounding the alarm for Justin Fields. Thank you for joining us for this episode of draft season. And we will be back next week. <laughs>